Could anything better sum up the current state of affairs than the attempt to cancel George Orwell? I'm sure he'd see the funny side of all of this, of being accused by some obscure journalist on Twitter of being a government snitch, a turncoat and a traitor. The man literally took a bullet in the neck fighting fascism in Spain. Not all cancellations are made equal. When he returned from the front during the Spanish Civil War, he found that his militia had been consumed by communist infighting and essentially outlawed. His comrades were rounded up and executed while he and his, his wife managed to flee to France. Revolutionaries have a habit of devouring each other like that. Orwell recalled the horrible atmosphere of Barcelona during that time. The fear, suspicion, hatred, censorship. It shouldn't surprise us then that they want to cancel him. He gave us the best intellectual tools for showing up their dangerous nonsense, including words like newspeak. He had their number. He saw their loathing for the working class, the detachment of the intelligentsia from the people, who took their cookery from Paris and their opinions from Moscow. Not much has changed. England is still a place where the elite are ashamed of being English, snigger at every institution, who would sooner steal from the poor box than sing God Save the Queen. We saw it after the Brexit vote, those knuckle-dragging troglodytes who shouldn't even have the vote if they're too stupid to use it properly. And we've seen it everywhere in recent weeks. Take the BBC as an example, and the bunch of middle-class white women laying into the new boogeyman, the Karen. Never mind the fact that this is a recycled trope of the hysterical woman. The left are oblivious to their own sexism and racism, and think that they can act with impunity, because they can. What was most shocking was how viciously snobby, crass and condescending it was. How can white women not be Karen, they asked. The answer? Educate yourself, read some books and shut up. This snooty elitism has an exclusive language that excludes everyone from gammons to Karen. They clearly get an endorphin rush from their snobbery, but it has serious implications. For all their calls to educate yourself and read some books, the people at the helm have shown themselves to be profoundly ignorant. This might be because facts and figures don't really matter to the activists. In my experience researching extremism, this is fertile ground indeed. Just take a few examples. They wanted to remove the Emancipation Memorial in the US even though it was funded by freed slaves. They vandalised the statue of Cervantes, the author of Don Quixote, who was himself a slave captured by Ottoman pirates. It's a dangerous moral distortion where the founding fathers are as much fair game as the Confederates, abolitionists as much as slave owners. There is original sin, but there can be no forgiveness. One man to whom educating yourself really meant something was the famous slave and abolitionist Frederick Douglass. The son of a slave owner and a slave, Douglas taught himself to read and write in secret, realising that this was his path to freedom. He became an exquisite orator, and on the anniversary of his famous speech denouncing slavery, vandals tore down his statue. Without any self-awareness at all, I was told by one academic that on the very spot in Oxford where in 1555 three martyrs were burnt to death, including the then Archbishop of Canterbury, he saw a student shouting, burn roads. Educating yourself about history undermines revolutionary zeal. A proper historical education wouldn't just include the politically expedient parts. It's ideology, not history, that they want taught. A rounded history would include the campaign to abolish the slave trade, the Royal Navy's role in stopping slave ships crossing the Atlantic and Indian Oceans, and the horrors of the Arab, Trans-Sub-Saharan and Barbary slave trades. The problem is that history, in all its beautiful and dark complexity, is irrelevant to the activists and iconoclasts. 
We've allowed lazy and politicised academia to take root. Examples of ignorance are ten a penny. The motivating ideology says everything is complicit in white supremacy, so nothing can be taken off the table. It's our shared inheritance that's at risk. We're custodians and have no right to let anyone destroy it. Yet vicars have already shown concern that the leadership of the church, by conceding an inch, have thrown our historical treasures to the iconoclasts. White depictions of Jesus are already on the menu with no respect for the faithful who created them. When a priest in the US tried to educate the crowd in St. Louis, whose statue they wanted to pull down, he was shouted down, with one person ominously saying that the cathedral was next. Once you've conceded, you can't placate the mob with historical nuance. They don't care. What we're realising is that it isn't just the living who can be cancelled, and it has terrible implications for real people and their shared inheritance, but most importantly, for truth. In the past week, 150 writers signed a letter criticising ideological conformity and cancel culture. Nothing could have been more apt than the fact that within hours they turned on each other, with some people wanting to remove their signature because they didn't agree with the other signatories. Too many people throughout history have thought it was a good idea to feed the crocodile in the hope that it would eat them last. If history tells us anything, once they've torn society apart, they will eventually turn on each other.